Welcome to episode three of Post Post Training. I'm your host, Alex Oshinsky. This week's guest is my good friend and tennis mentor, Harris Rosenblatt. Harris was the two-time JMU conference champion, the 1994 Maryland number one, the 5.5 national champ in 2006, two-time member guest winner of LCC golf, and two-time WPTL champion at paddle tennis. Harris, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. This is such a joy to be on your call. So I gave a short introduction. Why don't you give us a little bit more uh, information about yourself? Well, I was given this exposure to you and this podcast through an unbelievable coaching organization, and that's how I know you. So I guess what happens now is I tell you about why these accolades matter to me. So it was through team that I was able to have an experience of mastery. I spent a lot of time mired in the junior ranks like everybody else that played some tennis. And I have a story just like everybody else about why it didn't work out. But then something happened in 1989. I met an amazing man who made a profound difference in my life. And when I see what happened next, it's all through team. That's why I led with golf and paddle. I don't want to be known as just a tennis player. I just want to be known as somebody that loves to be on great teams, Alex. And I really, you know, after knowing you for the short amount of time that I have, I guess pre-COVID, we got to spend some time together. But I definitely feel a part of your team, and I'm grateful for this opportunity. Yeah, and, and teams are huge, and it's, it was a pleasure working with you and, and learning from you and, and showing up to your clinics. We always had a blast. Um, COVID definitely threw a, a wrench in things, but I look forward to get, getting back on the court with you. Um, so I want to focus a little bit on your time playing and a little bit on your time as a coach. All right. So let's start with your playing career. Um, tennis is very much an individualistic sport, but as you said, there's a huge team impact. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience individually and with the team as a player? I guess I could break it apart like pre-Massanutten and post-Massanutten. For those in the mid-Atlantic, that's where the pivot took place. It was in a mountain in Virginia, and there was like pre-Massanutten, post-Massanutten. I met my coach in 1989 that made a profound and lasting difference in my life. As I mentioned, his name is Richard Cody. He lives in Vieira, Florida, but I had two famous coaches prior to that in my junior career who helped me through the struggle. Brian Tenery at Lakewood Country Club and Nancy Ornstein, who I met through Four Star and Bob Pass. Bob Pass probably plays the largest role in my transformation because when I had it, Alex, he gave me the pulpit. And for the service of everybody listening, that's how I met Alex Oshinsky through Four Star Tennis. I had that transformation in 1989 after skiing at Massanutten with Richard Cody. I had a top 20 ranking perennially, but I never hit the national ranks. It was always because I would fail miserably against the guys that I needed to beat. And I was literally, I don't know if you'd label it bipolar, but there was some imposter syndrome. There was some label that we didn't know then that I suffered from. And Alex, when I say I suffer, I mean, it wasn't just, I kind of suffered. 
I was beating my best friend 6050-4015 in a legendary location called the Dungeon, which was now, thank God, torn up. But it made great players, including me. I had this experience over time. Until I was 19 years old, I put myself in positions to win, and I would categorically fail, just objectively fail. And I would do it in purpose. I would do it in a way to spite my parents, to spite my coaches. I would do it in a way that was so self-loathing and nasty. And nobody knew what was going on with me. And nobody could help me. I was on an island. I was truly alone. Then Massanutten. I mean, I'm telling you this to keep it simple. But anybody who's listening to me understands that mountains provide humility and they provide levity, and they provide perspective. And up until this moment in Massanutten, Alex, I was a long-suffering, anxious wannabe. And then I saw a man who had such profound credibility in how he moved, not what he said, but how he was on the court and how he was on the mountain. His name is Richard. I had been trained by Brian Tenery to be a great doubles player. And I'd been trained by Nancy Orenstein to be an awesome fighter, warrior. But I needed Richard to make it happen. But I had to qualify for the team first. So that's the pivot, Alex. The team happened. I can't undo it. I made that team. And God love Marvin Rosenblatt. He was an elite athlete himself. So none of this happens without a dad who woke me up on the days I had Hebrew school and he would push tennis balls at me at Cabin John Outdoor Park, okay? He would push balls to me all over. He couldn't go to my matches because he was a little too into it. <laughs> Just the absurdity. I mean, he's no longer around to listen to this, but I lived my life in response to that. That's what happened to me. And then this man, my dad, who has four children and 12 grandchildren, all amazing. This dad left me with freedom to explore the same thing, the same sport that caused so much deep-rooted anxiety and knowledge of myself as a loser, a choke. That's who I was. And then I met Richard Cody. That dad made me good enough, and Brian and Nancy, God love them. I got recruited by an amazing man, Jack Arbergast. He was a football coach. Turned into a tennis coach. He didn't know shit about tennis, but he knew fight. And he saw me lose to a legendary player, Lee Van Blurkham, who later was an All-American at Amherst. He just became legendary because he's brilliant and his nieces are amazing. They play at Amherst. But he was a dear friend of mine. I lose to him in the recruiting match in Stanton. I think this is the worst loss in my career. <laughs> and it turns out it got me into JMU. And that was amazing. Getting into JMU in 1988 was a miracle. I struggled my first year 10 on the lineup, but that's all it took to make the team my sophomore year, and that's when Richard Cody restricted the team to 10. I'm a big believer in no cuts in high school. I'm a big believer in cutting in college because the cuts in college leaves more coach to the kids. I had the profound growth that very few people experience anymore. In college, I blew up. Something happened. It was a miracle. And I knew myself as a no-limit soldier, no shit, hardcore mother. I knew myself that way. The same sport, the same sport that riddled me with such profound anxiety and guilt 
gave me enough freedom because doubles, man. That's what people don't understand. It's hard enough to hit a tennis ball over the net in between the lines. It's easier if you're willing to throw yourself on a sword for a Matt Getz. So Richard Cody falls into my life. Jack Arbergast recruits me, and Matt Getz is the doubles partner that gets me on the starting line. Three doubles, six singles, I'm finally in. Lee Bell, whose daughter Charlotte Bell plays at GW now, and he had way more talent than me, broke his back in a misadventure. That gets me in the lineup. His doubles partner, Carl Bell, they're all still my best friends. These men are amazing leaders in different endeavors. But I get into the starting lineup because of an injury. But you got to understand, in 1989, we had Mark Brick, Steve Secord, Matt Getz, what I said, then Carl Bell, Lee Bell gets hurt. I get in. I had an unbelievable run. And I played with a Quentin Kelly. And through doubles, we get to the finals of the CAA championships my junior year. I win it in singles, barely missing doubles, but I'm a part of the team now. And I'm 21. And Bob Pass gives me a job talking about team tennis to a bunch of four-star kids. Bear Schofield, Leland Schofield being two of them. And that transformation lived inside of the ears of other students. And now I have all these relationships. And then once I got a part of this team, Alex, it never ended. But it all happened at Massanutten. He says, come skiing with me at Massanutten. I say, coach, massive nothing. I ski out west. And I was the best skier at Winston Churchill in 1987. But skiing and tennis are very similar. There are profound levels of the game. And I was about to see another level. So this Monday night, I pay $7, $19.90, whatever. I get to see the greatest skier I've ever laid eyes on. Two minutes later, I'm on a chairlift with him. And he says, there's a lot we can do with your tennis game. <laughs> and he just got me to notice the concepts and barriers and all the limits I had. And I just gave it all up, Alex, to be a part of that team. To be a part of JMU's starting six, I was the owner, and I got value of whatever I did. Once I made the team, he allowed us to play intramural soccer together. There were 64 teams that played at JMU in 1989. Our team won it. I suffered a profound injury. Matt Getz, the striker in front of me, and Ryan Getz, his father. For those that follow collegiate tennis, Ryan Getz is a current All-American and a beloved friend of mine. He's come to the clinic at Four Star. He's hit with a lot of our friends, Alex. He's very humble, and I've trained him for two weeks of his life. I think he's going to be a world-class player, so I want everybody to follow him. He plays just like Stan Rorwinka. His dad was my doubles partner and the source of my miracle as much as coach because I had to make the team before elevating my game. But what I want everybody to know about Ryan Getz when they watch this man play tennis, he is truly unique and nobody's more fun to watch locally. But to take care of me, to pay for his training, we did it in Ocean City, we did it in DC, we traveled, we spent extensive time together and to pay for my training, he took care of my autistic son. Colby Rosenblatt is my true north now. And now I play on a lot of different teams. And all these people know that Colby is my plus one. So see, tennis has many benefits, but team tennis has twice as many. You bring up a lot of 
really interesting points in that uh, the, the, the way your dad pushed you um, to become better and, and play is, is interesting to me because for a lot of athletes, being pushed by a, a parent like that can sometimes push them away from the sport. It, it sometimes gets rid of that enjoyment. Um, but for you, it seemed to spark it a little bit more. I had a tremendous amount of dark wood, a lot of self-loathing. Nobody hated themselves more than me. I had to deal with nine years of profound anxiety. And four-star provided even more of it. That unbelievable culture of competition, the cauldron, got it? That made me crazy too. But the more I sunk in, Alex, the more I took responsibility for my part. That's what really happened. After a while, it doesn't matter what the commitment is. If you're willing to take responsibility for it, there's gold over there. Right. Being your own owner. That's what happened. I loved that quote. I love that. Um, I owned it. And for me, it was just, yeah, it's so true. And I lose. That's the other thing is people think that I'm this. And I did. I'm really proud of my game. But, you know, I've lost more tennis matches than probably anybody in Montgomery County. But that 5-5 national championship, I can't un do that. That happened. And that was esteemable. So was hitting the wall. That coach had me hit the wall 500 times before I could practice with the varsity team because I needed more mileage. And I just had such profound respect for him. You know, maybe it's because of the way he skied and that's not fair, but that's any 19 year old. I didn't know what I didn't know, but I was so cocky in certain areas to cover up profound insecurity so skiing was one of those areas where, hey, I'll show you. And then when that man laps me and he can do things on skis, and then that's relevant to the listener. You're a goalie. That is a ball and a man. And that is a very physical contact. Get it? What also happened to me at 5'9", because I got injured playing soccer, your beloved sport, because I'm a 5'9 Semite. I'm not the biggest man. You guys look at Ryan Getz. That's what I wish I looked like. He is, uh, you know, the prototypical D1 athlete. I am not. And when I played soccer, I hurt myself because anybody that knocked down Ryan's father, I knocked them down. As a result, I suffered a profound ankle injury. There's a local guy named Juan Carlos Altamar who I play paddle tennis with once a week. He nursed me back to health, got me swimming. See, college, D1 college tennis, there's such a cauldron of information too, pressure and info. You got to live on your own out of a bag. And once I was traveling with my team, it doesn't matter if it was soccer or tennis or lacrosse. It was just being with your team. The coach brought such forth integrity that when I got my, God, I just got moved. When I got my scholar athlete, here's what happened. I never won until I was 21. It's my CAAs now. I've been studying under this man since I'm 19. I was a sick skier. He got me a lot better at skiing, but the tennis took a minute. And now I'm playing my junior year against the best in the conference. I'm starting. I'm nervous as shit. And the coach gives me, and Matt gets, because we would normally, this is how hungry we were. If you want to be good at sports, if you want to be great at tennis, here's something people don't know about me because I'm always the fun guy. After a workout of about three hours in length, I'd run with Matt Getz 
It was a two-mile loop. It would take us 20 minutes maybe at that time of day because you're dying, get your backpack. <laughs> but we'd run from the convocation center to Graffiti House is where we lived. And we would normally end practice that way, but it was the day before conference. So he, Richard Cody, puts us in his van, says, you guys aren't running. You got to save some gas for this weekend. <laughs> he drives us to our house. And before he lets his house, this man was very quiet. He grew up in New Hampshire. He was a skier before he was a tennis player, spent a lot of time in nature. But when he coached, he had a profound way of speaking such that you listened, Alex. And he said to us, after providing us with this manila wrapped gift, he said, you've done your job for the school, gentlemen. Just have fun this weekend. And when I opened up the gift, it was my Scholar Athlete Award. If you start and have a GPA over three, four, the school gives you a, an award. And he had wrapped that award from the first semester and waited until that moment to give it to us. It said, you guys are scholar athletes. You've done your job for the school. Just have fun. And what happened next was truly a miracle, but it wasn't pretty. I did win the conference at number five. And during the match, I told Kevin Wendelberg, you better win the match because I was going to win the fight. I was so tired of losing to this guy. I was a servant volleyer and he would just pass me like an ugly hitchhiker. Finally, I got into this match and while I was talking shit to him, the officials were far enough away. They couldn't hear what I was saying, but this is endemic in college tennis. You played college sports. I just kept jawing at him and saying, you're going to get your ass kicked. I hate you, Kevin. And I was never going to fight the guy. Tennis, it is totally, it's totally verboten. And I've never thrown a hand in a tennis match. And I've had altercations where people have come at me and I've had enough presence of mind to turn my cheek. But my nickname at this point in college was the Chicken Hawk, coined by Lee Bell, whose daughter plays at GW now, Charlotte Bell. People want to watch a great tennis player. Watch that girl. He coined the phrase because I love to fight Alex. Remember the soccer team? That was real. Well, in the end, I won that match. And I lifted bricks. I lifted gets. I lifted my teammates through my fight. And that was it. That's it. That's the pivot. That's really the end of the story. It works in golf. It works in tennis. It works in skiing because for any of your avid listeners that just want to ski better, I became amazing at skiing because I learned from one thing, Alex, you know what it was? What was that? The pain of the mountain is the teacher. You learn how to be a profound skier by going down a line the way water would fall. And what happened to me, and I love knowing you this way, because this is something that I can contribute to you, Alex, is the only difference between you and me is the study of feng shui in these objects that I use, whether it's my skis to fight the mountain or the racket to fight the net and lines. That's all I've ever wanted to give you and Claudia, that knowledge of the joy that the racket can provide you in contrast to those two opponents. The net and lines are who we all play in tennis. That's why I was able to really use my anger and my self-aversion got deeper all through that dark wood of hitting 500 balls against a wall before I could play with the varsity team, falling in love with the team, loving the fight so much that I got myself out of the way in the end. And I'm still a vessel for my teams. That's all I want to be. And that's how I deal with the loss of my father.
which was a year ago, August. I just play for my teams like my life depended on it. So sorry to hear about the loss of your father last year. Thank you, Alex. He was 85. I got super lucky, super lucky. And I do appreciate that so much. So, yeah, it's tough. It's never easy, no matter how old they are. No, but there's what's left is the grace. Mm -hmm. The way it got so manic after my dad left, at least I'm left with a deep appreciation for such a talented man. His love language was flawed. But he was amazing. It's all intention, Alex. Mm -hmm. If your intention is family and love, something tells me it's going to work out. Right. And, and that's life in general. Right. He right. just happened to give me the freedom of focusing on being an athlete. I've had a lot of tumult and challenges in my life. And he just really wanted me to be an athlete. And he didn't care. He just wanted me to keep playing sports with as much freedom and veracity as I could as I grew up. And I just so thank him for that focus. That was cool. As long as he wasn't paying the bill, he gave me a lot of self-efficacy. And I hope to do the same for Colby. That's the other thing about tennis. It's been a great vehicle for my own parenting. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about your playing experience. Let's move on to your, your coaching experience. So how long have you been coaching for? My first coaching relationship was with Paul Hershani in 1985. I met him. So I've been coaching since 1985. And the worst part is the first two students were two of the best. One being Paul Hershani, who was the all-conference rookie of the year of the ACC. I'm real proud of the CAAs, but ACC rookie of the year, Paul Hershani, that's me, man. And he should be your next guest on your show. He's brilliant and was a five-time qualifier for the City Open. And I coached him and I brought him into the same mortgage business. And I just got so lucky for that guy. And then I had Nathan Coles. Nancy Ornstein couldn't travel. She gave me a Nathan who played at Landon, later at UVA. And I was his traveling coach because his parents couldn't travel. His mom was number one at Washington Golf and Country Club. Marilyn Coles was an amazing player herself. So she got the best player that she could, me, and I traveled all over the country with this kid. Yeah, no wonder I love tennis. And then I'd come back and coach for Bob Pass when I wasn't traveling all over the world as a 22-year-old with an unlimited budget. <laughs> yeah, that happened to me. And then I got a stint in Germany, but that was as a player. That's another great story, Alex. I don't know if you're as Semitic as I am, but I went to play the Maccabi Games in 2011. And before that, I played club tennis for Grunweiss. Mark Brick set that up, and Christian Honhold was the coach. And a lot of my coaching from then was copied from that experience of the <laughs> German club tennis. That was a really great, great experience for me. And after playing in Germany, I came back for David Canstrom's wedding. He was number one at UVA and still my best friend to this day. He got me the job really with four-star tennis. He's Bob's best friend, my best friend. We share Bob. And now I have this career to be so proud of that was so centered around Bob Pass, Jack Shore, back to Bob Pass. My entire coaching career has been at the heels of these amazing men. I never give Jack enough credit, but he was truly unique. He gave me a wonderful opportunity. I'm forever grateful for Jack because Bullis, where I met you, was sourced by Jack. 
later managed by Bob, who I was formally trained by. So my career as a coach is unbelievably circuitous. I spent a lot of time being coached by Jack and Bob, and then I ended up working for both of them later in life. It's a blessing, to be honest. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. It sounds like you've had uh, an amazing experience, not only as a player, but as a coach. Coaching uh, was I'm, truly unique. I loved it, it, and I still love it. It is. It is. It's a very different situation. Not all great players can become great coaches. Um, but I love that you said that, Alex. You mentioned coaching in Germany. That um, makes me curious. What What do you think the difference is between the uh, American mentality towards playing and coaching and a, and a German mentality towards playing and coaching. Well, I am so grateful. First of all, it was more camaraderie in college. There was a supplication, you know, there was, you had to listen to that coach German club tennis. There was an egalitarian feeling. The coach was just a buddy who was putting lineups out there based off of what was going on that week. The reality is the system worked because instead of paying for the greens fees at the country club, Germany, excuse me, had a post-graph, post-Becker reality in the early 90s where there's so much interest in tennis that as in the Lord song, the tennis court, people would go down to the tennis court and work it out. And there was a club system where people would go Saturdays to watch the teams play other clubs. People don't know about this, but as an American, I got to play in a club system in Germany and a Jewish kid, no less. So I ended up going to Dusseldorf because there was so much money and interest in tennis. A kid like me could get housed and fed and live for free in Germany. Yeah, that was an easy one. So the reason it worked is probably because golf wasn't such a big deal in Germany because Becker and Graf ginned up so much interest. These are iconic characters. So people that grew up in Germany, they grew up watching them play tennis on TV because it was a big deal. Both amazing characters. Still to this day, I'm interested in German tennis. Yeah, the Germans have a very interesting approach to, to life and sports in general. It's incredible. Um, and because of their self-effacing nature, the bar, which I'm not mentioning, but I would go to the bar after practice and you don't think on Saturdays in a home match after I was with, you know, Achim and Doris and Diana all week loving life. And then Saturday comes around, I'm playing Bayer Wuppertal. Yeah. I felt a sense of team, Alex, big time. Same thing that happened in college. Only these are my friends. I'll, it's red clay. I'll kill myself for a win. I didn't know I was going to be this kind of guy. But Jesus, it's nice to know myself that way. You know, it's nice to know myself as a guy that can take a sword for my German brother because we're on the same team. That's meaningful. And now my, my daughter is being educated in London and she's going to need a home. And next week it's going to be my buddy's house. He's my brother. Yeah, I've always loved the German mentality uh, when, when watching them play soc soccer. They always seem to have this approach where no matter how great a player is, it's not about the individual, it's about the team. And it's very mechanical, methodical. Every piece just 
flows and it fits together so perfectly. And it is something worthy of discussing at greater length because what I had said to you about the feng shui from skis and from rackets, there is a feng shui of any team in motion. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't disparage. Before I played in Germany, the name of the soccer team at JMU that won it was Blitzkrieg because the leader was German, Bricks. Mm-hmm. The number five guy, Gerald Siska, was also a fullback. That was incredible. But we worked as a team, and there was feng shui in that whole element. We were a tool, and we were a tool that got the win, and now we end up being brothers forever. I still have pictures from that night where we're partying so hard, you know, we're holding the trophy and the ensuing picture, you see the fireplace that we were just partying, I just crushed into rubble. You know, that was it. That was it. Mm-hmm. That was what the pivot was. Sorry about that. That's my dog in the background. I love dogs. Anybody that knows me can tell you that. Yeah, this, is a, this, is a, this is a rescue. Andy, come here. That, by the way, Andy, like Murray. <laughs> right, you guys if you know we're here now it's out it's it was incredible last night in palm desert there was just an incredible match by an incredible man he's not everybody's favorite but on the 12th of october he lost a thriller a thriller to uh Tsitsipas. or no no he was he playing the other guys Verev. that was talking about mm-hmm. yeah so cool so I really, I really, uh, I love dogs. I ended up uh, using tennis in my 20s. I coached privately in Kensington. And there's two courts that I love and it's still in existence. A guy named Mick went off and runs groups there now. You don't need any money just to go and play. But it was just a crazy thing. And I'd have these animals. I kept jo- coaching through my 20s and 30s. And 06, that took me a lot of time and effort to win that tournament. But at least when it comes to USTA play, being the 5-5 national champion, I was the captain of that team. So that is a coaching accolade because I wasn't really on the court. <laughs> Paul was. I was on the bench. I was on the bench of the greatest win of my career at that moment. Winning the CAAs at number six was a miracle. Number five the following year, being ranked number one in Maryland in 94 was kind of inauthentic because I just showed up at the most events and got the points. But this thing that happened in 06 and the 5-5 Nationals, I had a lot of success at that level, but I never won it. And when I got to win it all, I was on the side of the court. I made a promise to Bruce Lipka, who played and lost with an incredible player. Who'd he play with? I guess Steve Miguel, greatest coach in the area, Steve Miguel, Alex. You know that, and that should be out there. Public consumption. Y'all want to know who Harris Rosenblatt thinks is the best coach in the area? Go see Steve Miguel. So he and Bruce lose. Carter and Matt, Matt Scott, who's no longer in the area, Carter Morris, who's the second greatest coach I've ever known, is in Osa. And he wins because he always wins. Carter Morris is a genius, beautiful man. And then it's up to Paul. And Alex, I'm the captain. And my player's down a set on serve. I've known him since he's eight years old. I met him in 1985. It's now 2006, and I'm playing the biggest match of my career. I'm not even on the court, but Paul is. That's what team feels like. Down a set, on serve. I knew he was going to win. I know Paul like the back of my hand. 
And I could tell he had a teeth in his match. It was going to be our match before it happened. That matters. Because in 06, then I end up having the golf wins, the paddle wins. Some crazy things happened to me. But ownership started it all. Owning that team, owning Paul Laszlo Harshani, owning that man's game, taking ownership, which is insane, really. I've never been in his body. But I've hit more tennis balls with him than any other human on this planet. I promise you that. So why not? I'm the one practicing with him, Alex. Why not allow it to be my win? So when I was playing with Mats Clausen, who's the greatest coach not in this area, he lives in Calabasi. He's probably not going to listen to this podcast. He doesn't live here. But he's a genius. He's retired now in an island in South Carolina. He was the founder of OSA, who Carter now works for. So Mats gave me the pivot to take these ideologies, premises, practices, and transfer them to other sports. So for avid golfers, I never got my handicap too low. But once you're in a member guest, all you have to do is win your flight, and then you just have to be with the best 12 teams. And I had the best partner, again, like Dexter McBride. Mats Clausen is unbelievable. I picked the right partners, Alex. So now I got Mots and I got a golf tournament at Lakewood Country Club and I got a putt that's worth $14,000 and my name on a plaque that'll be there forever. And what Mots said to me before I hold that putt out, he goes, Kalamasu, Kalamasu. And for any tennis aficionado, we all know that means nationals. And at nationals, Paul Goldstein defeated Andy Roddick's brother, John Roddick. I watched that match and drove there and back with his coach, Mats Clausen. I was very close to Paul. His dad's my doubles partner and beloved mentor. Clark Goldstein's a huge, huge factor in my life and has always been. So I went in 1994 to win this win, and now it's 2007, and I got to make this putt. And when Mats says Kalamazoo, that five-foot putt turned into a six-inch putt. And I made that putt. And I jumped in that lake with Mats. And the definition of love is in that jump. That's what happened. There's certain coaches that I'll jump for. And they've been in my life forever and ever. You know, and they're all here on the call. Started with Brian, who gave me Mots. Nancy made me want it. She, I met through Bob. And then I was just so blessed that Richard Cody got peppered into my life. He fell in. And I've captained Danny Waldman, Steve Miguel, Paul Hershani, Bruce Lipka, Carter Morris, my athletes that I've captained, Jim Shepard, Bear Schofield, Tommy Croker, David Canstrom. I have got a list of people that I've captained that could fill the roster of the greatest tennis players from the Mid-Atlantic. It's true. Danny Cantwell was on one of my teams. He won the ACC in 1990. To this day, these men buoy me. And I don't do esteemable things every day, but when you hit that wall, just hitting a tennis ball, getting out of your head and on the court, Alex, that's what we did. Mm -hmm. And it helps with mental health. Mm -hmm. It helps. If you notice the absurdity of living your life in response to these false causes, mm -hmm. it's all made up. So I made up Team Tennis Matters. That's what I made up. Does that make me crazy? I don't know. Ask Bob Pass. <laughs> I'd love to know what he says. 
Well, anyway, you've been such a joy to talk to. I know I've taken up a lot of your time, Alex, but your time's very valuable, and I can't wait to share some more of it. I have one last question before we get going. Sure. Because I know you have uh, a lot going on also. If you could give one piece of advice to anybody looking to make it big as a tennis player or be successful as a coach, what would that be? Alex, I'm grateful for that. I would identify at least one area of your game or your life where you've not been being responsible. Cause a breakthrough in being responsible in that area. Call me about it. Call you about it. But that's all it is. An accountability. Whether it's your weight or your alcohol consumption or your smoking. What are you afraid of admitting? Share that with somebody you love. I couldn't agree more. Harris? But there's got to be credibility. Don't be satisfied with telling it to anybody. Make sure they can ski parallel or hit that backhand down the line or just give you that thing. Look first. Look before you leap because who you share this with matters, but share. Mm-hmm. Agree 100%. Harris, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, with the way this uh, episode has gone. I feel like we could do two or more, two or three more and still have plenty to talk about. Um, I look forward to potentially having you on again and uh, definitely getting back on the court with you in the near future. Um, always a pleasure. Take care. Thank you very much. I just loved getting to know you better, Alex. I felt like COVID interrupted us, and I'm so blessed that we have some movement again in that conversation. I knew you were special. I just, I just appreciate your listening so much, and thank you. 100%. Thank you very much. Cool, man. Take care. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Appreciate Enjoy the you. rest of your day. Thanks so much. Bye.